Hello and welcome to Ducks on the Pond. I'm Kirsten Diprose. And I'm Jackie Elliott. This episode is supported by Sophie Murphitt Design, a Squarespace web designer based in rural Tasmania. Yeah, we'll hear from Sophie briefly at the end of this episode to talk about her new business, Digital Ag. Right now, we're looking at something a bit different, life coaches. Firstly, what even is one? It gets a bit of a bum rap, I think, in Australia, that, that term. But I can't think of a better one because it really is important to look at all aspects of your life, your family, your career or business. That's Karen Foster. Before becoming a life coach, she ran a successful PR company called O2 Media. I'm just going to say it, Jackie. I always thought a life coach was all a bit woo-woo, like how can anyone be an expert in life? I used to have the impression that a life coach was probably the kind of person who likes to help others, but doesn't really have their own life sorted out. I mean, there's not really a degree in life coaching, is there? (laughs) Well, there probably is somewhere, but you know, you might have to be a bit skeptical about it. That said, in this episode, we meet two women who are incredible businesswomen, very community-minded and leaders in their own right. And I was working with all these incredibly talented women in rural communities who weren't seeing their own value and in turn weren't being valued. And that included myself. I was told at 22 that I wouldn't be able to work in my own town because no one would listen to me because I was too young. That's Rebel Black, entrepreneur and founder of The Rural Woman, among many other initiatives she's started. Rebel lives in Lightning Ridge, New South Wales, and calls herself a life coach, but prefers the title human agronomist. Well, so agronomy is an agricultural term. Agronomists are people who work with plants and in the context of their environment, and they will advise farmers on the kind of inputs that the plants might need in order for them to flourish and thrive and produce the best possible outcomes. So they take into consideration all of the elements and the grower's desire and the best plants and products to to produce. So I do that for people. I understand their context. I understand their environment. I get to know it, learn what their goals and aspirations are, and then I connect them to inputs that are going to help them really bloom where they are. I really like that description. I think starting from the point of what is a life coach is really helpful because I think sometimes people mock the concept of a life coach. Like how can anyone really know how to succeed at life? Well, I think understanding firstly the way that a great coach works will help understand how someone can help you in your life in that context. And the role of a coach is really to ask great questions. That, that's how I perceive it anyway. So when I'm coaching someone, whether it be in their business, in their spiritual development, in their physical well-being, in their health or in their life in general, in relationships or love, I'm not an expert in their life and I'm not an expert in life as it is, but I am really good at asking very probing, very deep questions that then force that person to dig deeper into their own perspective to understand the nuances of why they are the way they are and how they're attracting and creating and being part of and participating in the world that they find themselves in, the life that they find themselves in, and how that they can start to be at cause of that rather than experiencing only the effect. And so I think coaching is not everyone's a great coach, 
if you want a consultant or an expert, that's a very different way of engaging with someone with expertise than it is engaging with a coach. If you want someone who's going to give you the, you know, the strategic plan and provide you the advice and say, here are the steps that I think you should follow that are going to get you to the end goal, then you're really looking for a strategist or a consultant or an advisor of some kind. But if you're engaging with a coach and they're not asking you great questions and they're telling you what to do, then they're not coaching you, they're consulting. So I think the differentiation, the distinction is really, really important to understand. And then that helps us understand why we would, you know, engage a coach is if they're going to ask me great leading questions that help me find my own clarity, then I all of a sudden become an expert in my own life. Okay, Kirsten, I'm a bit more convinced now. I'm starting to get the concept. I think also once you hear what Rebel Black has achieved, I mean, that's what's really opened my mind up to the idea of a life coach. I grew up on a property east of Coonabarabran in central West New South Wales. So I grew up on the land, spent all my holidays either on horses, mustering, doing sheep, you know, shearing summer holidays were all shearing, September holidays were landmarking. We were contributors to the farming business. And then I had two years at university and and then quit because the way of learning just did not suit my way of expression and I couldn't see the pathway for myself. So I took the rebellious act not to finish my degree and I moved to the Northern Territory as a governess on a station. What were you studying at the time? I was studying psychology, law, politics. And so my first year was a law degree. And then in my second year, I shifted to all theologies, anthropology, psychology, sociology. I love learning. I love learning. I'm a hungry learner. But it was the way that I had to regurgitate the learning that I really struggled with and couldn't see a purpose in, to be honest, other than to attain a degree, which I was really kind of not that impressed by the need to create, to you know, to get a degree for a degree's sake. I ended up as the editor of the newspaper in Lightning Ridge at 21, and I've been here ever since. So I'm now 22 years in Lightning Ridge and became an entrepreneur at age 22, started my own business and have mostly been in my own business since then. And I've had a couple of different jobs thrown in the mix there over the time, but I am very much an entrepreneurial spirit. So I do like to create and steer my own ship. I think I make a terrible employee. So <laughs> like many farmers, really, let's be honest. That's really exciting. An entrepreneur at, at 21 in Lightning Ridge. I'm excited by the age and the location because yeah. you just don't associate often those two things. But what were you doing when you were 22 as an entrepreneur? What was your first business? My first business was in project management. Entrepreneurial people are problem solvers. You know, it's like identify problem solve it. That's kind of what I was doing. And I'd had two years as the editor of the newspaper, so I knew the community intimately because I, as an editor of a newspaper, you kind of have to know everyone and everything. You're the journalist, the photographer, you know, you're doing the preschool report and and also trying to find some hard-hitting journalistic story that you can put on the front page. And so I knew the community intimately and I could see there was a need for sort of 
short-term project management and consulting. So essentially creating my own job, but with multiple clients to deliver. And the council ended up being one of my major clients. So I helped to build tourism, you know, built visitor information centers in the community. So I was always looking for where the gaps were and what I could bring to the gap to, to sort of solve those problems with the particular skill set that I had. My husband and I built a restaurant on the Opal Fields um, that space has morphed into many different things. There's a Thai restaurant there now and we run workshops and exhibitions and performances and I've, you know, launched several other businesses and my most recent was a business that I started in 2014 called The Rural Woman, which last year moved into be a, a member-owned cooperative. So the company was acquired by a member-owned co-op. So always looking at community wealth building and I guess living in a little town there's opportunities are limited geographically there's a small population so a business that relies entirely on locals is a challenge financially and so I tapped into the internet in 2011 started my first online completely online business and invested in web technology and a whole lot of stuff at the time that was leading edge and because I recognised that if I was going to stay and live here and I wanted to pursue, you know, keep my entrepreneurial fires burning to rely on my own community of 2,000 people was probably not going to be realistic. So I had to look for other ways. So it forces you to be very creative, that's for sure. Tell me about the rural woman. What inspired you to create something that's specifically for rural women? Well, it was being a rural woman and it was seeing, I was coaching at the time. So I was coaching mostly in food and well-being. So I, I studied my coaching through food first and foremost, became a food coach. And I was working with all these incredibly talented women in rural communities who weren't seeing their own value and in turn weren't being valued in their context and that included myself you know I was told at 22 that I wouldn't be able to work in my own town because no one would listen to me because I was too young and what would I know and that like that was pretty interesting advice to be given and true and untrue at the same time but I kept seeing these women that just weren't being valued weren't valuing themselves and I felt like there was a bigger movement required in order to shift that dynamic than I would do just as a single coach. You know, the, there's only so many clients I could have and I didn't want to create something that was just me, you know, masterminding or being all things to these people. I knew there was a collective wisdom that really needed to be activated. And so it was a, you know, 3 a.m. wake-up call, downloaded everything out of my brain onto a piece of paper built a website the next day, put an email out and called out for, you know, people who would write for the website, Rural Women, got our first presenters, hosts, started running online events, took all the knowledge and skills that I developed in building businesses online and, and started from there. So it, I always knew it would be owned by the community and that it, would be, that it belonged to the community, but I was just a steward for a period of time. And at the time, all I knew how to do was build a business. So that's what I did. But it was really about providing places an online place that wasn't about the geography where people live because small towns can be small towns and everyone knows everyone's business before it even happens and it isn't always a supportive experience we like to tell the story that it is but the truth and reality is that it, it often isn't 
And so wanted to create a safe online space where rural women could reconnect to their most powerful voice and then provide platforms where that voice could then be amplified. We reach 50,000 women every month and we're doing amazing advocacy work through government and with policy and it's now member owned. So Jackie, when I heard this, I thought, yeah, Rebel's on the same page as me. It's all about women supporting women. And she has some serious business and community building credibility too. So my next question is, who needs a life coach? If we're all doing this thing called life, at what stage of life should we be thinking about it? Often people will find their way to a coaching relationship at a crossroad or a turning point in their life where they're facing perhaps overwhelming opportunity and they're unclear of how to choose or they're facing massive structural adjustment, either a career change or family change. Maybe kids are moving out of, you know, really, really needing them or they're moving out of home altogether. And what we know is that sort of emptiness syndrome. As humans, we all find ourselves at those crossroads or turning points. And that's often when we will seek that support or guidance outside of ourselves. And so for me, understanding context is really important. And then understanding, you know, in a year's time or a couple of years' time, what would be different from their point of view? If we were, you know, if we're, we're working together and I'm supporting you in a year's time, what's different? And that will give you clues as to what the goals and aspirations are of that person, even if they're not clear. They don't think they're clear on it yet. They have had that, you know, the foresight to kind of articulate it. Or if they're struggling with that, then you know you're kind of starting from the very beginning. And I'm always listening. To me, the greatest clues for the subconscious, which is our driver, the subconscious is like the engine of the car. For me, the clues of the subconscious are in the language and the words the person is using. And so I just want to listen to them so I can hear, I can pick up on the nuances of the, of the engine that they're driving both positively and perhaps restrictively. And that often gives me a place to start to just open the door around a conversation of, you know, in whatever context of their life that they're sort of struggling with. And what I do find often is we don't start with the greatest pain point. We start somewhere else. If they're really struggling in relationships, for example, I wouldn't usually start the conversation there because there's so many protection mechanisms that our subconscious and our ego has around us staying in that state that sometimes we've got to come in a side door and trick ourselves into change. So Kirsten, seems like you can come to a life coach for your business, your relationship or any other goals you might have in life. I still have one foot in the woo-woo camp for life coaching, but This does make a lot of sense, especially for us as rural women. I find it incredibly hard myself to prioritise things in my life. So here's Rebel. When I came to coaching myself for the first time, it was through my business. So I think often people will find, particularly women, will find that they will feel more comfortable investing in their business and and support mechanisms around their business than they would necessarily around themselves directly. But I think the best time... The best time to engage any support service in any context is when you don't need it in crisis, honestly. But the most often times that people look to build that support mechanism is when they're in deep crisis. But at that point, it's very difficult work for both parties. 
and it's not impossible and it it happens all the time but honestly if you're listening to this and you're like oh yeah everything's fine with me that's the time to really be building and investing in the support mechanisms around you for building resilience and capacity and new tools to be able to navigate those periods of time where it's more challenging or there is a crisis point in your life and it does depend a bit about what you're looking for again it's that difference between coaching and expertise sometimes in a crisis state coaching wouldn't be the best format you really need someone who's going to give you the pathway the script the very specific steps do this do that do this do that And then you get to a point where now you can invest more in those sort of question answer, deep discovery stuff. So it's also knowing um, what the the need is at the time. What about psychology and counselling? Where does that fit? Because perhaps that might be an area that someone needs perhaps more than coaching. Yeah, and I think it's very person dependent as well. Like individually, the person that's needing the support is it's really got to be up to them and then it will also be the person that they're meeting because there are coaches that can do just as great a work as a psychologist or a counsellor even though that's not their field but because of the work they've done would have expertise in that space but there are also coaches who aren't good at that and so it's I think it's getting familiar with the differences and whether that person as a guide and a support in your life is going to be the right fit and the right person for you. So are you convinced now, Kirsten? Yeah, I think I am. Like Rebel said, it's about getting the right person. But it is worth mentioning that there are some charlatans out there who use the tag life coach to get you to join bizarre cult-like groups. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast Twin Flames. If you have, you'll know what I mean. Great podcast, by the way. Some of that stuff uses the guise of personal development, but can really be dangerous or at the very least, a waste of time and money. Yeah, and that's what I used to think too. Sometimes they are just well-meaning people with no idea. I call that category the smoothie types. You know, they're on Instagram making mixed berry smoothies and talking about wellness and calling everyone hun or lovely. And then the next thing you know, they have a life coaching course. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. And then charge a shitload of money for something that you don't really get anything out of. <laughs> but- But that's why we're fan rebel and our next guest, Karen Foster, because they're none of those bad things. They understand business, goal setting, coaching, and they're rural women. Exactly. And Rebel Black comes highly recommended. And Karen, she's relatively new to life coaching, but I came across her in her previous career in PR, where I can tell you firsthand she was superb at her job. So let's meet Karen Foster. She grew up in Gippsland, and then she moved to a tiny town called Yambuck near Port Ferry, where her parents ran the local pub. I loved, loved being there. It's a small community but had a really big heart and I think that's what made me fall in love with the area. It was, it's, and the pub, of course, is, is like a community hub, so it really draws everybody there. At some point, everyone goes to the pub, whether it's just for a you know, Friday night counter meal or whatever it might be. So I was lucky. It really helped me to become part of the community. Tell me about your, your career. You were a journalist. Who were you working for and, and what drew you to that profession? Yeah, I remember being in grade three and saying I wanted to be a journalist, not having any real idea what a journalist did at that time, but I love to write stories. So I think I was a creative kind of kid. And after school, I got offered a cadetship in Sale, or I was living then at the time, at the Gippsland Times, and 
So I took that and, and I went to, ended up going to uni later on, but that really kick-started my career. Wow, there is a bit of journalism, life coach connection here. That's bizarre. Both Karen and Rebel started their careers as journalists. This could be your next career move, Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. But Karen also had a PR career first, running her own business. Yeah, I did. I went to the dark side of, of marketing and advertising and PR, which seems to be a pretty common career path for a lot of journos. It, it was essentially because I had very young children and I wanted to have a bit more flexibility. So I decided to start my own business, not knowing at the time that starting your own business actually consigns you to a life of very long days and lots of hard work. So I think the dream was was a little bit romantic, but I found I just loved it. And that was in 2007, I first started and it was literally on a computer in the corner of my bedroom. It was a very small enterprise. I had no idea how to run a business. I loved writing and that's all I knew. This grew to a significant business. 12 employees doing marketing and graphic design with a studio in Warrnambool. And it was very successful for a decade. Then it hit a hurdle. And what I love about Karen is she's not afraid to talk about it. We romanticise business a lot. And I think it's really important that we talk about the tough times as well. One of the big errors, there were a couple I made. Um, the first was not really keeping keeping a close eye on what was happening in the industry and, and adapting and being at the, the front edge of that adaptation. So I was just having such a lovely time that I didn't really stop to think, okay, what's the future of our industry? And online competition became much, much more steep and it was got harder and harder, I think. So I think that was one of my big takeaways is to really keep your head up, looking around and seeing what's happening in the industry around you. We essentially folded in the end. Certainly the model that I had, the business model that I had, which was centred around having lots of people providing services. We really had to just close everything and start start from scratch. And that's what I did. I just came home. It was just before, the year before COVID arrived, actually. I just moved back to my home office. A couple of my former employees uh, started their own design studio, which is going really well for them using a different model. And that just made me take stock and think, okay, what am I going to do now? What do I want to do now? And I think up until that point in my life, I'd really just gone wherever life took me, you know, just, just really whatever came up, I think, oh, that's a good thing. I'll go and give that a try. So I never really sat down and thought, how do I intend to, to live from here on in? So it was, it was a really big turning point. And again, Karen learned the lesson of being intentional from the world of business. I think in hindsight, Kirsten, I probably got swept up in the excitement of going, you know, we would take on new new projects or new contracts that sounded really exciting and we'd sort of bolt them onto the business and bring in extra human resources to do that. But of course, those run out at some point. So I think I would be much more intentional about saying no to things And really, I don't like the phrase, but sticking to your knitting, you know, stick with what you're really great at. And I probably suffered from shiny object syndrome and and saw lots of exciting things I wanted to do, but didn't have a really clear strategy that I stuck to. Uh, I think that's probably where I went wrong along the way. But look, you know, I don't regret it at all. It was a lot of fun. I had, you know, met some amazing people, made some lifelong friends, and it brought me to where I am today. So I don't regret that for a moment. And, you know, it's, and it's helped me to be a much better business person today. 
that was only a couple of years ago. So what did you decide you wanted to do? I made a complete 180 degree turn, really. I've always been interested in personal development. And I thought, this is the work that I love. This personal development is, this is what makes me get excited when I get up in the morning. So I retrained as a life and leadership coach over the last couple of years. I do still do some PR occasionally and I enjoy it. When I do it, it's because I want to do it. But, but primarily I'm, I'm doing coaching, which I love. I think a lot of rural women often feel torn about where they should be going. They might have children they're busy with. They might work a bit on the farm, but often have something they really want to do, whether it's a business or a career. But balancing all of that is really, really difficult. What process could you potentially go through with a woman who, you know, has all of these things in their lives that are equally important to them, but, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day? Yes, excellent question. There are 24 hours in a day and it's only one year. So you can't be everywhere and you can't be all things to everybody. The term life coach, it gets a bit of a bum rap, I think, in Australia, that that term, but I can't think of a better one because it it really is important to look at all aspects of your life, you know, your family, your career or business, your, your social life, your spiritual life, if that's important to you, your community life, all of those things come into play. And I think it's just being conscious of all of those domains of your life that's actually a great starting point because we don't often stop to think about the different roles we play and we don't often stop to think about the roles that we want to play and that sometimes we play roles that are foisted upon us that we didn't really want. So it's it's all about being really intentional and deciding what your priorities are and what your options are and then making a plan. So, of course, the hard part is sticking to it, but that's, again, where a coach can come into into play, helping you stay accountable to your own aspirations and your own goals. What do you say to someone who doesn't have the support from either their partner or close family or even friends? Often our friends and family aren't intentionally doing it, but they might sort of dismiss it or just those little throwaway comments, oh, that's never going to work or all of that sort of stuff. That's such an important question and it's something I have grappled with personally as well. My husband's a lawyer and he's very logical and very practical and when I first started talking to him about personal development, he actually asked me if I was in a cult of some kind. <laughs> so he really has no understanding and no intention of understanding. He, he it's, it's all very odd. So I got through that by finding a different tribe. So a different group of people who do love and understand this type of work. Um, I would say too that there is a tendency we all have to want to change other people around us so that they become more like us or more understanding. And, and I think my advice there is they get to be them. They get to be whomever they want to be. They don't have to change. They just need to be comfortable with, with your change. And sometimes that, that can't happen, but sometimes it can. You know, Jackie, it's not just the journalism connection Karen and Rebel have. They've also both witnessed and helped usher in that shift amongst women that's gone from competitiveness to abundance. Abundance. Kirsten, you sound like a life coach. (laughs) You know what I mean. Grow the pie, don't fight over the pie. (laughs) Definitely not a life coach, yeah? Well, more of a farmer perhaps than with the pie reference. But I do get into some pretty deep conversation here with Rebel. This chat 
takes a really interesting turn that I honestly would never have expected in terms of her advice. There's been massive radical shifts at every level. You know, individually, we see more and more women engaging in their own personal and professional development. We see them engaging in the in the online world. We see them getting into their own businesses or mapping and directing their own careers, saying no to stuff. You know, that's been a really powerful thing, you know, saying no to things that don't align anymore or, or quitting things that aren't right for them and having permission for things that, that weren't there in my mum and my grandmother's generations. And it's taken, you know, places like the rural woman to have those conversations, to have safe spaces, to have those conversations like, oh, there is another way? How amazing, you know, and to be uncomfortable in the change that's required around shifting from that sort of scarcity-driven, fear-based culture that we all just believed into abundance and there's enough for all of us and we are enough and those sorts of things. So even in the early days where we were putting memes out that were saying things like I am enough was really challenging for people because that wasn't a language that was used eight years ago, but it is such a common language that's used all the time now. I'm worthy, I'm enough. We just hear it every day. So, yes, so much has changed. And then what we see is there's structural adjustment that starts to follow on. You know, campaigns like the Buy From The Bush campaign that just went so incredibly powerfully, all of the shifts that had happened in the years before that had to have happened in order that something like that could be so well received. The New South Wales government has just announced billions of dollars for women in their budget. That is a result of the collective work of the consciousness of people changing themselves. You know, like Gandhi said, being the change they want to see in the world, not trying to change out there changing in here and then the ripple effect of that as more and more people do it is palpable and systems start to change and I get goosebumps every time I think about it because it's that's the only way it will work we can't make those systems change they're too big and they're too onerous but we we can change ourselves we can find the things within us that are not working anymore or the patterns that we want to change And that's where coaching environment, whether it's one-to-one or in a group, is so powerful and so potent. Yeah. I want to kind of get your perspective on an experience I had recently. You just sort of said you can't really change what's out there. But how do we sort of change men's attitudes? And there are some wonderful men who have been very helpful and, and help women access all the opportunities. But I was at an agriculture event the other day. And I was chatting to a woman who was quite high up in this particular industry. And she sort of said to me, she goes, oh, this guy, you know, she was standing in amongst a circle of men that there were mainly men at this event. And he shook everyone's hand and not hers. And I said, oh, what did he try and hug you? And she goes, no, he didn't even look at me. It was like I was not even there. And that's an experience that many women have had. And agriculture can be quite low-key. How do we change that? Well, we can't change other people. That that is true. That I know for fact because I've spent a lot of years trying. (laughs) It backfires. So I think it's recognising that that happened and that there are multiple ways of approaching the solution and beating people over the head with it is not the way. 
that is, you know, counterproductive. And what that does is trigger people's defence mechanism and so then they shut down even further. And I think we've, we've weaponized a lot of these things over, the, over time, you know, where we've just beaten and beaten and beaten and thought, well, if we just yell loud enough and strong enough and hard enough, people will eventually get it. And that isn't working. It hasn't worked. Might be by degrees, but not, you know, not massive change. So I think it's about saying, all right, well, what within me was there that allowed that experience to happen, to be present in my field? So what part of myself is still feeling unheard and unseen? And how do I address that personally? That's what we can take responsibility for. We're not taking responsibility for the actions of those men or for them ignoring it or, you know, for the collective letting that happen or for that particular man for doing that. It's saying we all play a role in every dynamic that we enter into. And so in entering that dynamic, what responsibility, what role did I play and what part of me is still unseen and unheard because that's the pattern playing out. That is the energy and the pattern that's playing out in that, in that dynamic. And then it's doing the work on that and then it's practising in those environments and seeing if anything shifts, you know, and being curious about it. And being curious in the conversation to have the courage to go to that man and say, hey, I just wanted to have a conversation with you that this is what I just experienced. And I'm not sure if you're aware that that even happened, but I'd like to have a conversation with you about it. Can we have that conversation? Because I think those dialogues may be uncomfortable. They will probably be uncomfortable. They take a lot of courage to have, but they are the ones that shift the needle and help people see things that they literally cannot see. And whether that's a woman standing in front of them or, you know, any of the other multiple things that that don't appear for us. But it's what I've found over the years is it's less educating people and more being curious with them. And then we can start to make, you know, shifts and adjustments so that we're seen next time within our own consciousness or We have the courage in that moment to say, hey, I'd really like to shake your hand. And and that powerful statement doesn't have to beat someone over the head, but it's saying, I don't need to wait for you to shake my hand. I am an equal person in this this space and and I can put my hand out to you. Mm. I really like those solutions because it it places the power with you in a non-confrontational but assertive way. It does. I mean, the... The most disempowered approach would be to jump and yell and scream because you just you just hand over all power and authority to that. We're all worthy of being here. And if you go into any dynamic from that place, you will get a worthy experience. That is some pretty profound advice, Kirsten. Indeed. And Karen is also a passionate advocate for women. She's a counsellor with the Moyne Shire and wants to see more women in leadership positions. I really grew up in country newspapers and I was often on the council rounds and just really always enjoyed it and, and felt the power of it in terms of its ability to influence communities and, and help to shape communities. Uh, I think I always knew that I would attempt to be a councillor at some point. And my youngest son finished year 12 and I thought, okay, the time is, the time is right for me to do this now. So luckily I was elected, but I'm the only woman, unfortunately, on our team of seven. So that's become a bit of a personal mission for me now as well, is to engage more women and particularly younger women 
in local government because I think we need those voices. Why don't you think we have those voices in local government? That's a multifaceted issue. Lots of women are very busy, young women are very busy with families and career and business. I also think that women aren't given the the encouragement. There's not a lot of support that I see. Certainly in my community, there hasn't been a lot of encouragement for young women to step up into leadership positions generally. So if you look at Moynshire, only 16% of votes were for women. That's a lot of a lot of women who vote for men in leadership positions. So, you know, and we might be a bit of an anomaly here, I'm not sure, but I do feel that there is a very old, pervasive sense that we want men in charge. And women feel that, they subtly feel that. So I'm really on a mission to encourage women to get onto boards, to, to take, you know, to get onto school councils and kinder councils, to get that leadership experience and, and really start having more of a voice in decision-making circles. And if I've learned anything from this life coaching podcast, the way to achieve your goals, Jackie, is to be abundance. No, <laughs> no. Jackie, intentional. I think it's crucial to have a strategy for your life. And the best place to begin with that is understanding what your personal values are. So I mentioned freedom, for example, and that's one of my personal values. So that obviously will shape the kind of strategy that I develop. So that's that's a really good beginning point. And I'll use a framework around imagining your ideal future self. And then deciding, okay, who do I need to be today to become her? So that's really very loosely the, the kind of framework that I use in my own life and in my coaching as well. It does enable the flexibility to change because I don't think you ever achieve your ideal, you can never achieve your ideal future self because as you grow, your notion of your ideal future changes your your expectations of yourself expand so it constantly changes and I've used the word intention a lot it's about choosing with intention what your next steps are and who you need to be to become the person that you want to be and that's it for another episode of ducks on the pond thank you to our guests rebel black and karen foster you can find links to their websites in our show notes But before we go, we have another brief interview we wish to share with you. Sophie Murphitt is a web designer in rural Tasmania. Now, I met Sophie a few years ago and she has been very supportive of Rural Women's Day and is currently creating our new website for Rural Women's Day, which also hosts Ducks on the Pond. Also, Sophie is starting a new business called Digital Ag. Sophie is our episode sponsor, which is something new that we're doing. And if you're a rural woman and would like to promote your business on this podcast in this way, then please get in touch to hear more about our sponsorship options. And speaking of sponsorship, Karen Foster is also a sponsor of this year's Rural Women's Day happening in Dunkel, Victoria on October 15 and 16. Tickets are available and you can head to the Rural Women's Day website to purchase. Let's meet Sophie. So Digital Ag is my new venture and basically it's a design studio that aligns with agricultural businesses to help them innovate and adapt and grow. So through seamless design alongside a usability first approach, we help businesses stay ahead of the curve and we do this through offering a range of services, but mainly those relating to web, brand and digital 
Why is it important to have something specific for ag, do you think? It's such a niche industry. And, you know, when I started Sophie Murphy Design a couple of years ago, you know, ag was there, but in the past few years, it's become more and more important to get an online presence. And I think um, ag businesses are starting to realise that now. And yeah, I, I, I just don't think Sophie Murphy Design sort of ticks ag boxes anymore. I really wanted to niche down and yeah, that's why I've created Digital Ag. So what actually inspired you to create Digital Ag in the first place? Yeah, it's it's a hard one. I've been thinking on it for a few years now. And again, when I started Sophie Murphy Design, I wanted to go into ag. I've got an ag background and I've got degrees in the ag area as well, alongside quite a few connections. But I just felt like if I wanted to go full-time with my business, I couldn't just follow that niche, whereas now I can. Nowadays, I guess there is a solid opportunity in the Australian market for a design agency that specialises in helping agricultural businesses. And yeah, again, that's why I've decided to start Digital Ag. Is Sophie Murphy Design still going to exist alongside it? Yes, it will still exist, but a lot of my clients are in the US and UK now, and that, that brand's gone in its own direction. And that's probably why I've seen a drop off in my ag inquiries. So I'm hoping this will fill that gap. Wow, that's super interesting. As a businesswoman, what is your favorite piece of business advice? I love this question because I feel like this changes over the years that you're in business. But now I'm at a stage where I think my favorite piece of business advice would be to never stop networking. And I feel like current world events have demonstrated how quickly things can change. And so to help maintain your business and guard against unpredictable events, it's important to constantly network. And I feel like it's good advice because interacting with your network provides your business a lifeline and sounding boards for when change does happen. Awesome advice. So finally, how can people get in touch with you to find out more about Digital Ag? So you can find out more by visiting www.digitalag.com.au or you can email us directly at hello at digitalag.com.au and, of course, we're also on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Sophie, and thanks for being our very first episode sponsor. Oh, no problems. My pleasure. Thank you. And if you're interested in sponsoring an episode, you can contact us over Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or you can email us at ducksonthepond.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.